Thanks for listening to the Velocity Church podcast. We hope that this message encourages you, inspires you, and challenges you to take your next step with Jesus. Now here's the message. Thanks for joining us here today. And I just want to say one thing really quick before we, uh, we dive in today. Uh, those of you here who were here for the Jesus Revolution uh, movie, first off, how incredible was that, right? Did you guys enjoy it? Um, what I was really excited about, too, as the, the week was progressing and as we put the invite out for the community, because really, you know, one of our, our big goals in that was to invite anybody out who would want to see that movie. And let me just tell you guys, we packed the theater out. There was not a seat. The only seats available that I could see were in the very front row. And uh, I mean, it was just macked out with people. And so praise God for that. Can y'all just give God some praise in here? Because, you know, it's, it's, it's taking the steps of doing those things, those outreach opportunities where we can uh, spread the love of Jesus, man. And that's exactly what we're doing in church. That happens uh, through your giving that happens through this ministry as we go out and do these things and these these different outreach events. And that's how we see that. And so we're blessed to be a blessing to our community. And we want to give back in that way and, and, uh, and, and help in that way. And uh, praise God for the turnout for that. And um, no telling what kind of seed was being sowed in someone's life or what was being watered that was already sowed in their life. And what the harvest out of all that is going to be. But just an incredible time with everybody and uh, so grateful again to have you all here today. Uh, how many of you were here for last week for the message um, in the new series on parables? Enjoying this series. Uh, man, we're looking at the different stories that Jesus told, different parables that Jesus told, and that's exactly what, did you guys know that's exactly what a parable is? Is it is, it's, it's a story. And uh, Jesus told stories. And why did he tell stories? He told stories to connect with people. And in some ways, what you need to understand is this, is that as Jesus is telling these stories, you've got to understand the culture and the context that he's speaking to. As Jesus is sharing these stories, uh, many of these stories would have just been, the people listening, the audience listening would have been like, what did he say? It would have been like eye-opening as he's telling these stories. And so Jesus is sharing these stories. And one thing I want us to think about today as we study where we're going to be at, which, by the way, if you brought your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 15. If not, it's going to be up on the screen for you here this morning. Um, well, a couple things we want to look at as we're studying the Bible and as we're looking at these stories is two questions to ask. Number one, who, who's, who's the audience? Who's Jesus talking to here? As, as we read through this parable and the story that he shared. Who's Jesus talking to? Number two, um, was there something that prompted him to share the story? Was there something? Often what happens is somebody says something, and so Jesus tells the parable. Or somebody does, and maybe a statement is made, or there's something that somebody asks, maybe a question, and it prompts Jesus to share this story or share this parable. And so that's the question we're looking at today, first off, is, Who's he talking to here? And, and then secondly, what was it that prompted him to share? And as a matter of fact, we're going to start in verse 11 today. Well, actually, you know, we're going to start in verse 1, but I'm going I'm to jump to verse 11. What we see in Luke chapter 15 is there's going to be a total of three parables here that are back to back to back. The first one uh, being the parable of the lost sheep. The second is the parable of the lost coin. And then what we're going to be looking at today is the parable of the prodigal son. And Jesus shares these back to back to back. And so actually, I want to start in verse one here this morning. So if you brought your Bibles, Luke 15, verse one, and this is 
This is what it says. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. Verse 3, so he told them this parable. So what do we see here? Who's, Jesus, who's the audience out there? You got tax collectors, scribes, Pharisees, and sinners. All right, who are the Pharisees? If you've been coming to Velocity Church for a short period of time, you've maybe heard us look and read scripture and talk about Pharisees. Pharisees, they were the religious elite for the day. They were like the spiritual referees walking around with a whistle around their neck. You know, the pinstripes and all, right? They're ready to blow their whistle and call foul at anything anybody does that doesn't sound like them, look like them, or, or whatever the case may be. They're like, we're ready. We're ready to jump on anything uh, that, that is not good. We're the good ones, right? We're the good guys, they're all, ugh, they're all the bad guys. That's, that's the idea of the Pharisees. The scribes, and then you have the tax collectors. Um, tax collectors were, were uh, Jewish people that were hired by the Roman government. And this is why tax collectors literally get their own category in Scripture. They're so despised by their own people. And you're like, well, why are they so despised? Well, they're tax collectors, but the Roman government would hire these Jews. And what they, what they would do oftentimes is... Uh, they, they, so let's say, just hypothetically, let's say you owed $100 in taxes, okay? What the, what the tax collectors would do is they'd say, hey, you owe $400 in taxes. <laughs> oh, I think I just owe 100 No, you owe 400 Go ahead and pay up. And they'd get away with it because they had the backing of the Romans. And so they, they would actually get away with it. And so uh, no wonder they were so despised. And they get their own category here. You have sinners and tax collectors. <laughs> All right, so you've got the Pharisees, the scribes, the tax collectors, and then you have sinners. And who, you know, when it references sinners, what, what is it talking about there? Well, you'd, you'd, you would have had in this audience, no doubt, you know, prostitutes, drunks, addicts, uh, you know, um, thieves, right? People who you could, maybe you could see the external sin on the outside, they're all there present as well. And so this is a pretty wide, diverse group of people, wouldn't you say, that are here to hear this story. And what do we read? We read that tax collector sinners, they're all drawing near to Jesus. Because here's the effect that Jesus had, is that people just wanted to get near him and hear what he had to say. So you have, you have all these different groups of people, but everybody wants to hear what Jesus has to say. So they all press in, and there would have been this big crowd gathering together, they were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes, what are, they, what are they doing? They're grumbling. What do they say? This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. I want you to grab a hold of the context here, and what's prompting Jesus to share this story is the grumbling of Pharisees toward those people, those sinners. So Jesus tells this parable, and again, he shares the parable of the lost uh, sheep, which we read here this morning as worship kicked off, the parable of the lost coin. They all have a common theme leading to the parable of the prodigal son, and this is what I want us to focus on here today. So verse 11, I want us to unpack this here this morning, but what I want to do is a couple things. As we dive into the parable of the prodigal son, one thing that you might think as you... Um, you know, if you've heard this story in the past, or you've heard the parable of the prodigal son, uh, 
maybe, maybe you come from the background of really having a hyper focus on the first son. This, in fact, is not a story of one son, but how many of you know this is a story of two sons? And if I were to put a subtitle on this message today, it would be Two Lost Sons. Two Lost Sons, because there are two sons in the story, and that's what we're going to look at here this morning. <clears throat> Verse 11, this is what it says. And he said, Jesus says, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, somebody say all he had, and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. A lot happening here. Let's break this down. Let's unpack this. How does this start? The younger son, okay, I'm going to call him the rebel today, okay? He's the rebellious son. We're going to talk about the older son here in just a minute. What does he do? He goes to his father, and what does he ask for? His inheritance. Okay, something you need to know is how offensive that would have been. <laughs> for this young son to go up to his father, essentially what he's doing, he's like, uh, and clock's ticking there. You, you still feeling good there, Pop? Uh, hey, listen, uh, you know, I know that, uh, you know, you worked hard for this and all, but yeah, I'm just going to cut to the chase. I want my piece of the pie right now. Uh, that's what's happening here. Just, you know, go ahead and give me my piece of the pie. I, I heard this story of a missionary who was, uh, who is in a village in the Philippines who is sharing this story of the prodigal son. And he's telling it to a big group of people in this village. And as, he's, as they're walking through the story, the missionary looks at one of the, one of the people in the village and he notices that they're like, they're just like, their eyes are like this as he's telling the story. They're just like, what? What did he say? And he, he asks him, uh, sir, he asks one of the, the leaders there, he says, um, so like, what would happen if, if one of your sons asked you for your inheritance early? And they all kind of looked down, and the, 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 the one he spoke with picked up a stick and goes, we would beat him to death. So, uh, which, which led to the missionary going, let's, let's go ahead and move on with the story here. And, uh, but I want you to understand that this kind of request was just so audacious. The audacity of this son to go to his living father and say, yeah, go ahead and I, I want it now. All, all of that time, investment, and energy, and work that you put into, you know, building a legacy for our family, you know, just go ahead and give it to me. No appreciation, nothing like that. I just want it now. I just, I want it right now, right? Give me what's mine. That's kind of the, the mindset, the mentality, and the attitude here. And it's, he says, Father, give me the share of property that's coming to me. And, and what does it go on to say? And he divided his property between them. What does the father do? Here you go. You want it? Here it is. Go ahead and take it. It goes on to say, not many days later, the young, younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey far into a country. And there he squandered his property 
and reckless living. He gathered all he had. So some of this inheritance, could it, it wasn't just like he gave him cash. Right? Some of this inheritance uh, could have been property, could have been cattle, could have been you know, different things that the son decided, I'm going to cash this in, and I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to take off. Now, what does he do? He cashes in, and it says, notice it says that he goes to a country far off, a far off country, because this is what rebellion does. This is, this, is, this is what it leads to. Not only do I want to get out of here, I want to get as far away from here as possible. Why does this son want to get as far away from his family as possible? Because he doesn't want to be accountable to anybody. I want the inheritance, and I don't want anybody telling me anything of what I need to do or how I should use it. You know, our culture today has an accountability problem. And uh, maybe many of you are here today, maybe you're, you're business leaders or, or business owners, and maybe you've seen that actually play out in the workforce a little bit, like just in a, a basic accountability problem, like, you know, I don't want anybody to tell me what I'm going to do. Like, it's, this is all about me, myself, and I. I'm here to serve me. I'm not, I'll show up when I want to show up. That kind of mentality, that kind of attitude. It's an accountability issue. He doesn't want to be accountable to anybody. And here's the deep meaning behind all of this, and this is what rebellion will do and what, what it's really looking for, especially when it comes to uh, the Bible and in the church is a lot of times people have this idea, this false idea that freedom, true freedom comes from when all the boundaries that are, you know, set in place from God's word, when all those things just fall down and I don't have to, you know, live within those bounds anymore, I'm going to step into real freedom. And that's, that's the idea that if I'm going to experience real freedom, it's going to be when these, these boundaries, these rules, these things i got to follow are in place, when those all just fall, then I'm going to experience true freedom. And then they get outside the bounds of God's way, and then they run into the world. You didn't step into freedom. You stepped into different boundaries. <laughs> True freedom comes from living within the bounds of his word and his way. That's where we experience freedom. It's not the other way. This false idea that thinks that if I could just get out of here, if I could just get away from my parents who, you know, they raised me in the church and all this, and if I could just go and run and do my own thing, then I wouldn't, I, I truly would experience that freedom I'm looking for. And like the younger son, a lot of younger people today, they run into this. They, they're going through, as they're growing up in life and as they're growing and they're maturing, they come to this place where, okay, this is what I've been taught. This is what I've been raised to believe. This is what I know. What step am I going to take? And the younger son says, just give it to me now, Dad. I'm going to go off and I'm going to do my own thing and I'm going to live my own way. The father, he gives it to the son and the son, what does it go on to say? He journeys into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. Is he stewarding his money in any way? No, he, he's like, steward? Like, what does that even mean? Like, no. He's just like, I'm living for today, baby, like right now. I'm not thinking about tomorrow. I'm not thinking about anything. I'm not thinking legacy. I'm not thinking future. I'm thinking right now. And he blows through his inheritance, goes through all of it. I wonder if he had a materialism problem. There's, you know, in, in our world today, and there's a fight against that, a fight against material and the things of this earth that are going to wither away, that we don't need to have gripped on us. I like what uh, Pastor Arthur, big daddy over there, if you don't know, Pastor Arthur's my dad, <laughs> keeping you awake here this morning. Um, I like what he said last week is it's, it's okay to have things as long as things don't have you. 
Like, like uh, there, there's, there's these false sides and ideas of like, oh, if I'm going to... So you have poverty gospel, you have prosperity gospel, people talk about the both, right? And then you have this, this extreme side where we just have to sell everything and give everything, and then your kids grow up thinking, you know, that, oh, God doesn't want us to be blessed at all, right? And it's an, and it's an extremism view of, of that. And then there's the other side where it's like, well, if you love Jesus, you're just going to be rolling it down all the time, baby. And... Um, and, and, and so it's not wrong to have, but it's when things have us. Like, like we don't get attached to things because things don't last. They're temporal. They're, they're not eternal. They're not going to exist forever. Like, like your spirit, right, your soul, that's, that's what's going forward. And so why are we focused on the temporal? And this son, no doubt, this son is focusing on the here and now. He's just focusing on like, I just want to do this today and I want to go live that way. He's not thinking about tomorrow at all. And this is what it says. And when he spent everything, he blew through it all. I wonder how much time passed between the time that he left and he's spending everything. When he spent everything, verse 14, a severe famine arose in that country and he began to be in need. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Something, uh-oh. Verse 15, so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed the pods that the pigs ate. And no one gave him anything. He's at the lowest place of his life. One thing to note about pigs is in this culture, in this context, pigs were considered unclean animals and disgusting like, nobody wanted to work with pigs. It was just, this would have been absolutely just, would have represented just the lowest of the low job. And this is where this son finds himself. He's out there feeding pigs. And he's so hungry and so in need that he begins to look at the pig slop and he's like, man, that, I could kind of go for some of that. That's a low place. That is a low place. How quickly did things change? He's in the pig pen. And it goes on to say that no one gave him anything. No one gave him anything. I bet a lot of people were trying to hang out with him when he was living high. Right? I bet a lot of people were like, hey, what you doing tonight, man? Like, hey, I'm going to come hang out with you. Right? And then all of a sudden, he, he doesn't have anything anymore, and nobody is there to help. Nobody's there to give him anything. See, it's when he has nothing to give, all the takers leave. And here's what happens, is there, there, are, there are people who work themselves around you, but their primary reasoning is consumption. What are you known for, consumption or giving? And, and here's the thing, when, when he's at the low point, where are his friends? <laughs> They're nowhere. Who are the ones that stick with you through it all? Even in the bad times, even in the low times, in the times that you're going through it and you're like, man, I'm in the middle of this bad season. Those are when you find who your friends are. It's like I'm in the pit. I am in the pig pen of life right now. And that's when you find out who your friends are. 
Oh, the takers go. They leave. I don't want nothing from you anymore. You have nothing else to give. What are you known for? Your consumption or your giving? You're known for how you give and the generosity in your spirit. And what kind of friend are you known as? That's what it goes on to say. No one gave him anything. Verse 17. But when he came to himself. Somebody say, when he came to himself. Oh. When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? Sometimes it takes a pig pen to wake you up. What's happening here to this son? He was like, uh, you know, he, I mean, he's, this is the rebellious son, right? He's like, I'm gone. I'm going to do this myself. And it takes him feeding pigs to wake up. It takes him to that place to finally wake up. He goes on to say, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? It's like, oh my goodness. Like, wait, back at dad's house, right? There's always bread on the table. And I'm over here with nothing. And uh, I'm starving myself, looking at the pig slop, thinking that that looks good. This is, this is the awakening. This is the moment. I, I want to say this too to parents here today because here's, here's what can happen. Um, you have a child who's rebelled, who's turned from God. Maybe you have a child, they're grown, they've, they've moved on, they've turned from God, they've gone a different way. And there are so many parents that beat themselves up in life going, man, I just... And they blame themselves for like this, what happened. It's, it's my fault. I, I should have done this. I should have had them in church. I should have had, had them in, in youth group. I should have had them in all these Bible studies and classes, and I didn't do enough, and I, I didn't do enough. And if I would have just done enough, then they would have. Let me just, I, I want to give you some encouragement here today. In the story, there's no indication here this was a bad father by any means. In fact, quite the opposite. It's not always a bad parenting. There are some people in life who need to, be humbled. There's some people who it takes the pig pen to wake up. There's some people where it's like, I've got, to, I've got to experience the pig pen to wake up, to go, whoo, there's always bread at my father's table. And, 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 and for, for parents, and, and I'm not saying that it's not, it has nothing to do with parenting, it very well may, but I just, I want to give some encouragement because I know parents over the years that just, just, you know, their, their, their minds and their souls just destroyed by this idea when well, my kids went off and did this. And God isn't done with them yet. And, and, and what we're to do is we're to keep pressing and we're to keep interceding. We're to keep praying for our children. They'll come back to the borders which they came from. Amen. Um, but this son, he's, he's the rebellious. He goes and, and here's what it says. He says, I will arise and go to my father. What is he doing here? I will go to my father and I will say to him, Father... I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. He's, he's, he's rehearsing his lines he's going to tell his dad. He's like, this is what I'm going to say to him. This is what I'm going to say. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. This is a picture of repentance. This is the moment the awa he's awakened to what's going on. He's like, oh, this is a picture of repentance. He's turning from this old way and he's looking towards his father's house. He's making that shift and it goes on. I love what it says. 
But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. He's a long way off. And the father sees him. Why is this so important? Why is there so much significance to this point? Because the fact that the father sees the son a long way off implies the father had been looking. He had not lost hope in his son. He had been looking at her. Maybe today's the day that my son's going to finally come home. Maybe today's the day that he's going to come walking over that hill and he's going to come back home. And I want to tell you here this morning that in the same way this father runs to his son who was lost, is the same way that our Heavenly Father will run to the lost when they repent and they turn from their ways and they come home. Amen. That's good news. Your Heavenly Father has not left you. He's not abandoned you. But He's there with His arms wide open saying, Come home. Come home. Come home. That's such good news. The Father runs to... I mean, you get in this picture? He doesn't just sit there and go, Come on. Come on. Tell me what you did wrong. He, run, he picks up the hem of his robe, okay? And he does what old men in this day and age, in this culture, in this context didn't do. He runs. Children ran. Women would run. But men, especially men with the wealth that he carried, they didn't run for anything. But when he sees his son, he takes off and he runs with compassion to his son. And that is a picture, church, of what our Heavenly Father does to us. When we come home, when we repent, when we turn. And so many people think this idea is that, well, if I, if I go back home, if I, if I go back to church, if I go back to, you know, to the way I was raised up, if I go to God, I'm going to be beat up and I'm going to be you know, ridiculed and I'm going to be condemned. And it's not the truth. He's there with arms open wide. He's like, come home, I'm, I'm here. He doesn't even wait for him to get there. He runs to his son. That is a picture of your heavenly father toward you. He was a long way off. He felt compassion. He ran, embraced him. He kissed him. And the son said, what does he say to his father? He says the thing that he had rehearsed. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Look at verse 22. This is just, I love this so much. Verse 22. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's eat and celebrate for this son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they begin to celebrate. The father, notice he doesn't even respond to the son's Father, I'm not worthy to be at your table. Hey, go get him the best robe. Let's get the fattened calf and go and bring it. The best robe would have been the father's robe. He's like, I'm going to put my robe on you. We're going to celebrate. We're going to throw a party. Right? And what does he say at the end there? Why? For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they begin to celebrate. Now I want you to think back. Perspective. Jesus is telling this story to who? Pharisees tax collectors, scribes, sinners. And when the boy is in the pig pen, I just imagine the Pharisees have a big old smile on their face. Yeah, that's right. Gets what he deserves. Yeah, it's exactly what he deserves. It's the pig pen. But as soon as Jesus shares this about the father, they would have been like, what? Uh, excuse me? That's not what he deserves. 
Well, thank God, because of Jesus and his righteousness, we don't get what we deserve. That's the grace of God. And praise God for the grace of God. That you and I don't get what we deserve. And oh, Pharisee, Pharisaical spirit, it's because the righteousness of Jesus that you get what you don't deserve. It's not our works. And this is what's, what it's leading to in the next son. I told you this was a story of two lost sons. They're celebrating. They're partying. And verse 25 says this, Now his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house, and he heard music and dancing. So just get this picture, okay? They're partying. They're celebrating. The older son, he's been out in the field working all day. He's dragging the shovel behind him. Man, <clears throat> I'm tired. And all of a sudden, where's that music coming from? What's going on? Right? And he's like, what's going on here? Uh, he's tired. He's sweaty. He's hot. He's making his way up and he hears the music, he hears the dancing, calls one of his servants over. Let, let me read it. Let me read it. <clears throat> he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. Verse 28. But he was angry and refused to go in. He's angry. What's his response? Eh, he doesn't deserve that. He's mad. He's angry, right? As Jesus is telling the story, the Pharisees are like, yeah, we're angry. We're ang Ooh. They're already angry. You remember in Luke chapter 15, verse 1, what does it say? They were grumbling that what Jesus was doing, what? He was hanging around these sinners and tax collectors. They're mad. Who are the Pharisees in this story? They're the older brother. The Pharisees are the, this, the older brother. I'm going to call him the religious brother. We have the rebellious brother and we have the religious brother. He's angry. He's not happy. He didn't get what he deserved. And he refuses to go in. I'm not joining the party. Like, psh, I'm not going in there. What is he going to say? His father comes out. So the father comes out and treated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you. I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, can't even call him his brother, when that son of yours comes home, listen to what he says, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. What's, I mean, he is, he is not happy. He's angry. He doesn't get what he deserves. Dad, this isn't fair. This is not fair. I'm the worker here. You know, people are like this today. And they don't recognize the internal sin that's constantly going on because we're, we're, we're so external that we're like, oh, those people, those are the bad people. But me, now I'm one of the good guys. I'm, I'm one of the good guys. Those are, those are bad people doing bad things, but we're on, the, we're on the right team. We're the good guys. We just need a little bit of grace. Just a little bit. They need, oh my goodness, they need grace. You know, there, there's some people you're here today, and I would ask you to, as you read 
as, as, we, as we read through this and we study this, rather than use the Bible as a window to go, oh, I know a lot of rebels, or to say, oh, I know a lot of Pharisees, I would ask you to look at this and say, as, as a mirror, God, which one do I trend more toward? Am I, am I, am I one of the more, more rebellious? Is that what I trend toward, or am I, am I one of these religious? It's a story of two sons. What does the father say? He said to him, son. He calls him son. Right? And why does he call him son? Because he's his father. And he's being loving as he says, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. But listen, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Here's what religious the religious brother does, and this is what religious people do. They compare themselves to other people and their sin. Well, they, oh, those, are, those, are, those are the bad people. Look at all their sin. Look at, oh gosh, look at that life they're living. It's easy to call yourself a good person when you compare yourself to people. When you compare yourself, because you can always find somebody, I'm not doing as bad as that person. You can always find somebody to go, I'm, I'm I got my stuff together more than them. I got my stuff together more than them. So I'm on the, yeah, I'm on the good team. I'm the, one of the good guys here. But we don't get to compare ourselves to people when it comes to this. Compare yourself to God. The Bible says that our righteousness is like filthy rags. Like filthy. So you know, I, I'm one of the good guys. You need Jesus, just like the rebellious brother needs Jesus. The older brother has some issues. The younger brother has some issues. The rebellious has issues. The religious has issues. And both need Jesus. Both need Jesus. <clears throat> what religion does is they highlight personal preferences and try to turn personal preferences in the church into biblical truth. I'm going to share a quick story with you. When I was, that's about eight years ago, I got asked to go out and to speak at a Blinn College for an outreach event, and I went out to speak, and I was real excited. It was one of the first events that I got to go out outside and, 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 and teach and teach in another location like that. And so I went and I preached a message on um, <clears throat> when Jesus is in the synagogue and he heals the man with the withered hand, uh, and, and what, what happens? It's, it's on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees get furious with Jesus. And one, one point in my message, that I was driving home is, it was crazy how the God-man, Jesus, is standing right in front of them. The foretold Messiah is right there, and all they can think about is, you healed on the Sabbath. <laughs> they can't see it because they're so in love with the religion that they, they have zero relationship with God. And, and I, I preached a message on that, and I said something to the effect of, you know, I, I, I love stained glass, but, you know, stained glass in four walls and going there every week's not going to get you to heaven. Okay, something like that. And uh, I got met at the end of service. We had three, three people uh, give their lives to Jesus that day, and it was incredible. It was cool. I got to go talk to him at the end. I was like, oh, praise God. And I'm talking to him, and while I'm talking to these students who, one of them is just in tears, they're crying, the other two are just there, and we're having a quick conversation, like, this is what's happened now, and um, 
While I'm talking to him, I see two guys, big guys too, man, bigger than me. I'm like kind of intimidated, like, whoa, what's going on here? They come up behind me, and they're just kind of standing there like this, waiting for me to finish. And uh, you know what they were there to do? They were there to critique the whole message, um, which, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I'll take the, you know, the, the criticism all day. But, but what they brought towards me was, uh, they said, you know, when you, when you asked people if they wanted to be saved, if you asked people if they wanted to accept Jesus, you didn't immediately tell them, next step is water baptism. It's like, okay, all right. Thank, I, lit, I told the guy, thank you, I'll remember that for next time, thank you. And then, and then the other guy came over, and uh, he was like, and just remember, some of the people you're talking to in here, some of the people putting this on, they like stained glass. And they, they go to churches with stained glass, and they really appreciate that, and they spend hard money on that. And I'm like, and I get into a long conversation with this guy. And I was just trying to explain to him, I have nothing against stained glass. I'm just making a point that, you know, our traditions are not to be glorified, and our preferences aren't to be up here, you know, while we can't help our neighbor who lives next door to us, you know, but, but we're going to walk into a building and, you know, put on our religion. Uh, our, our religious identity for the day and move forward. It's like, no, 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 we're not going to do that. And that's, that's the point I'm making. But it was the, the dichotomy of the situation that's going on there because I'm, I'm, I'm simultaneously like, I've got one, one student who's like literally in tears about I accepted Jesus today. And then I have these other men here who are just like, man, you did this wrong, you did this wrong, you did this wrong. And, and again, like criticism, great, you know, constructive criticism, fantastic. But but, but it's the dichotomy of the situation. What's going on here? Man, these people accepted Christ Jesus. We're talking to him right now. This is a good moment. This is a good thing. And all we're thinking about is, you might have offended somebody. <laughs> no telling how many people I've offended here. All right, I, I'm, just, I'm just saying. Like I've, I'm sure I did, and I probably will again. Uh, yeah, it's part of it. Uh, but, but the big idea is this, is, is, is for religious people, it's like don't be more in love with your preferences than Jesus. And, and don't, don't hold your, your personal preferences and, and your ways and, you know, up here and then like, but, but, but you forget all of Jesus' ways and you, you don't live it out. Your sin might not be external, but you got pride in your heart. Or maybe, maybe you're, you're you know, I gossip, 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 and it's, it's I'm concerned. Well, it's concern, right? Or it's gossip. It's, it's might, it might be gossip. You might enjoy talking about other people's issues because it makes you feel better about yourself. And that's, that's the truth. And so, look, I want to make this point here, and I want you to hear me clearly. Whether you lean more toward the religious side, I go to church every week. I was the one that, I grew up in Bible study. I can quote, I've read the Bible front to cover you know, 10 times. I can quote it all. But if your heart is far from him, is, is, is your heart closely connected to Jesus? When one sinner, what, what does it say? I want to read this to you real quick. Lost sheep, parable of the lost sheep, uh, verse 7. Jesus is talking about the leaves of the 99 to go after the one. Verse 7, he says, Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. There is more joy. There is more rejoicing when one sinner. And when you see somebody who, you know, they were living out a wild lifestyle and then they come into the kingdom of God, they accept Jesus Christ and, and they begin, you see blessing on their life. What, what's happening inside of you? 
Are you happy for them? Are you like, thank God, praise God? Or are you like, mm, I don't know about that? Where does your mind go? And which son do you trend more toward? And the, the, the tragedy of, of the story in the end is it's, it's not the rebellious son that's lost in the end. It's the Bible reading, church going son who's lost. And just because you didn't leave doesn't mean you're not lost. Just because you didn't run far away to a faraway country doesn't mean you're not lost. You could be in church every Sunday, every Bible study, everything, and still your heart is far from Him. Thanks for listening today. To stay connected, visit us online at velocityburnham.org and follow us on Instagram. And if you're ever in the Burnham area, we'd love to have you visit us on a weekend. Thanks again, and we hope to see you soon.